Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. It's no secret how much we love our state. One of our most favorite pastimes is pointing to a place on the map and driving there to explore local shops, restaurants, and anything else we can find. The keys to a good road trip are snacks, a good playlist, and a clean car. Get your car ready for a Michigan road trip by calling Ride and Shine Mobile Car Detailing in Dearborn, Michigan. We know the owner personally, and there's not a harder worker than Darnell. He will come to your home or place of business for interior and exterior detailing, wax and polish, paint correction, ceramic coating, and window tinting, right in your driveway or parking lot while you work. You can find Ride and Shine Mobile Car Detailing on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, or you can call or text Darnell at 313-804-6441 to get your ride shining for spring. Welcome back to Great Lakes Confidential with Angie and Marty. I am Angie. That is Marty. Good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Good, good, good. It's winter. I'm cold. I've had enough. It is winter today. A snowstorm has just moved across That's the so entire state of Midwest and the Midwest. Yeah. I was just on the phone with my grandmother and, and I said, did it snow there? And she says, well, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's excited about it. She got the old snowmobile out she one more time. She is not got excited. Got the old Arctic cat out no. one more time this season. No, she's mad. But then she said something about, I guess I don't need my bikini. <laughs> Anyways. It's the Michigan way. I remember being you know? a kid with uh, snowstorms. When big snowstorms would come down, we used to deliver newspapers. Mm-hmm. They'd be out, you know, struggling, having, having our mom driving us to deliver the papers. And early morning, people would be out with their snowmobiles just ripping up the subdivision. Yeah. Well. You don't get too many opportunities to, you know, rip up the snow if you're living in the suburbs. So. That's true. Yeah. Grandma lives in a small subdivision that's literally a perfect square. And if I remember correctly, I've seen a couple people on snowmobiles out there because she's she's relatively she's Uh, kind of isolated. She kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. She's right between two large cities. And, you know, there's a lot of cornfields around her. So there Mm -hmm. are every now and again, you'll see somebody on a snowmobile and she might be upset with me if if she knows that I told this story. But one summer wasn't you know this isn't a snowmobile story but this is one of my favorite stories about my grandmother we were i believe having a yard sale Mm -hmm. and this was when i lived with them so i was teenager i might have been like 20 21 even maybe i don't remember anyways 
grandma decided to take a moped for a spin around the block. Nice. And she never made it back. Oh, no. And we were all like, what in the heck happened to grandma? She just laid that son bitch down. Uh, she did. Eey. And she ended up like the whole side of her body. She was like road rashed up. Oh, like no. she wiped out on this little moped. How fast did she get this I thing going? I don't know. What was it? Was know. it like an old spree? It was an or old. Or even older? It was probably even older. Oh, Yeah. Wow. And she wiped out, and if I remember correctly, she dislocated her shoulder. She was all road rashed up, the whole side of her. Mm, like she learned a lesson. Though. She <laughs> she never got on another moped. Yeah, that's the last for time she sure. tries to hightail it out of town on a moped. <laughs> and I I love her so much, and I'm so glad that she wasn't hurt even more. But like that is one of my f- most favorite stories about my grandmother ever because it is just it's like gosh, how old would she have been? It would have been like 20 years ago, so she would have been 50, mm-hmm. six close to 60 years old when she was. She was just like, all right, I'm gonna take this. Yeah, I'm see you moped later. For a spin. <laughs> Let's blow this popsicle stand. <laughs> Right. Oh gosh. Anyways, she would probably be pretty upset if she just knew burning I told out that the story, tires, but, right? Like squealing out of the driveway, mm-hmm. like rocks just shooting up behind her, and just got it up oh on one God. wheel. Just so funny to oh, think of. Jeez, and then just wipe it. Maybe she was trying to jump some cars like Evil Knievel. Oh yeah, most likely. And her little moped. Man, my grandma's a daredevil for sure. Yeah. Actually, when we were just on the phone, we were I talking heard you guys about talking about ziplining. Yeah. Well, she she went parasailing. Really? Yeah. When she was in Acapulco with my grandpa, like oh. they were, they were like, I don't know how old they were. Third, no, forty. 50s. Right. They weren't. It was not today, though, which is what no, I was no, like. No, no. What? No, they used to go to Acapulco, Mexico, quite a bit, like mm-hmm. once a year, every couple of years, or whatever, with a large group of friends. Like my grandma would organize these trips, yeah. right? I've told you before that she used to be the president of the Hudson Car yeah. Club. And so she would organize these trips and they would go to Acapulco. And one year they got my grandma to go parasailing. <laughs> grandma and I are very much alike in that we're not real big fans of being outside a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're both afraid of heights. And so she she still to this day, she says, I don't know what possessed me to do that, but I got up there and there's pictures. So, you know, that it happened. There's proof. And I'm like, oh, why would you think pictures. that I didn't believe you? Oh, I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah, you can. Yep. She's way up in the sky, you know, with this big parachute floating across over. <laughs> the sky like Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. Oh, my grandma. What possessed her could have been the tequila and the margaritas. Could have been. Yeah. Man. But she she is she's my hero for sure. Yeah. She's absolutely my hero. So anyways, back to the show. Thanks guys for listening to me babble about my grandma. So we're gonna start the show today with the segment that we still have no name to, and it's just basically, you know, repeating reciting how the counties got their names yes so last week we left off with allegan county so next up is alpena alpena county was originally named anamiki county after a regional chief the word may have meant thunder which could have had a connection to the name origins of thunder bay along which the county sits the county was given the name alpena by henry schoolcraft who may have intended for the neologism to mean bird country or partridge country. Is it neologism? Neologism? Neologism. Okay. You could just say invented name. 
Okay, is that what that word means? Yeah, it's like when you kind of uh, create a name uh, oh. based on uh, you know the sounds of of similar words. Oh, okay. Never, never knew that word before. Yeah. Well, welcome to English class. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Antrim County was originally named Majeezy, Majeezy, Magizi, Magizi, after a Native American chief. It was renamed as a nod to County Atrum in Ireland and is one of several counties in Michigan named after Irish counties. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know about Antrim County in Ireland. Yes. Huh. Closing out the A's is Aranac County, which is another named by Henry Schoolcraft. It is said he created the word as an amalgam, um, um, amalgam. Just say mixed up word, a mixed up, uh, a new mixed up word between two words. It's like, how how am I even Here's the functioning problem. right now? Here's the problem. There are so <laughs> many words, and I, I encounter this all the time, so many words you read all the time. You have no idea you read how them, they, yeah. Right, you read them all the time, but you don't hear them all yep. the time. So then when you come to actually have to say it out loud, you're like, oh my, I feel so stupid. And I do, because I am very, I'm very good with words. Like, I'm very good with... I'm very good with words. Well, I mean... I know, you know I know I, you are. Like, I took, like, pharmacology class, and that's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. piecing together prefix, you know, prefix prefixes and suffixes and all of these different things. That's pharmacology, not farm ecology right it's pharmacology and so so like acetaminophen that's Mm -hmm. a name that's a word that i can very easily say which is a right neologism right and so it's like other people see the word acetaminophen and they struggle to say it Mm -hmm. and i'm like no no no, i got this and i usually am very good about being able to read words but yeah i'm i'm struggling so anyways he created the word as an amalgam Mm -hmm. arena whose roots are in the latin word Hernia meaning sand, often in the context of sand used for footing during gladiator combats, and ac, A-C, which meant place of. So this place of sand borders the shoreline of Saginaw Bay. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So since I knew nothing about Henry Schoolcraft, and he's just out here like naming stuff throughout the state. Just being all important just throughout being the state very of Michigan. Important, I figured that's what we would talk about today. Is Henry Schoolcraft. So okay, perfect. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get to it. Celebrating two years of creating unique artwork for the home, Bone Jackies is a woman owned business right here in the Great Lakes State. Bone Jackie's mission in life is to make people happy by spreading their love of horror and cryptids. From shadow boxes to wall plaques, they've got something for everyone. Would you believe it? Take a look for yourself at BoneJackies.com. All right. So, Henry Rowe Schoolcraft was born March 28, 1793 in Albany County, New York, to parents Lawrence Schoolcraft and Margaret Ann Barbara Rowe. His father was a glassmaker, and when he was old enough, Henry studied and worked in the same industry until age 25 when he left the family business to explore the western frontier. From November 1818 to February 1819, Schoolcraft and his companion Levi Pettibone made an expedition from Potosi, Missouri, to what is now Springfield. They traveled further down the White River into Arkansas, making a survey of the geography, geology, and mineralogy of the area. 
Schoolcraft published this study in A View of the Lead Mines in Missouri. In this book, he correctly identified the potential for lead deposits in the region. Missouri eventually became the number one lead-producing state. He also published a journal of a tour into the interior of Missouri and Arkansas, the first written account of a European-American exploration of the Ozarks. Interesting thing to note here, and I'm not sure when this happened, but journal of a tour into the interior of Missouri and Arkansas. Arkansas is spelled A-R-K-A-N-S-A-W. Yeah. So I wonder when it was changed over to S-A-S. Yeah, I'm curious and, about and that And the too. reason for that. Like, what would... I mean, I didn't look it up because it's not a Michigan thing. I but. think, again, you know, you deal with... Um, I forget how what the what the term is. Neologism. No, mm-hmm. the uh, the term... Um, when, when you have a word, like Arkansas and Kansas, which is funny because, you know, they both have the term... They both they end both in the essay. With yeah. Kansas. Yeah. But I imagine, you know, if they had a, a root in, in a Native American language, that there, there wasn't a, a unified way of writing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so okay. that's why, like, it's like Mackinac and Mackinac Mackinac. Island. Yeah. yeah. Mackinac Island. Yeah. As my mom used to call it growing up in Chicago. <laughs> Come on, kids, we're going to Mackinac Island this summer. But that's another one that I, I was always, like, confused why one is... Yeah. C and one is W, and yet we both, they're both pronounced Mackinac. It's very yeah. strange. I mean, yeah, it's the same word with two different spellings. Right. So this expedition and resulting publications brought Schoolcraft to the attention of the Secretary of War, who was John C. Calhoun, who considered him a man of industry, ambition, and insatiable curiosity. Calhoun recommended him to the Michigan Territorial Governor Lewis Cass for a position on an expedition led by Cass to explore the wilderness region of Lake Superior and the lands west of the Mississippi River. Beginning in the spring of 1820, Schoolcraft served as a geologist on the Lewis Cass Expedition. Beginning in Detroit, they traveled nearly 2,000 miles along Lake Huron and Lake Superior, west to the Mississippi River, down the river to present-day Iowa, and then returning to Detroit and tracing the shores of Lake Michigan. Wow, that's a heck of a little trip there. Yeah, 2,000 miles. And then, yeah, I forget where the headwaters of... Uh... The Mississippi River begin, you know, way up there in in Minnesota. Yeah. So that was in part of my reading, but I Mm -hmm. didn't put it down because it's not in Michigan. So I just didn't include it. But also... 2,000 miles. Like, think about that in 1800s I would time. love to do that trip today. It's kind of like doing the, uh, the you do a bit of the, uh, the the Michigan Circle Tour, the Great Lakes Circle mm-hmm. Tour coming up around uh, Lake Huron up right. to uh, Lake Superior. Go down that su- that southern shore of Lake Superior. Take that all the way into Minnesota. Find that big river. Take that south. Be a nice little trip. It would now because we have car, mm-hmm. motorized vehicle. I was thinking about doing it in a boat. That'd but, be cool. I mean, like you think about how much time it had to have taken to get 2,000 miles in the 1800s. Yeah, but these guys, they knew what they were doing. It was a pain, but they've done this. Yeah. So Schoolcraft met his first wife, Jane Johnston, soon after being assigned in 1822 to Sault Ste. Marie as the first U.S. Indian agent in the region. Two years before, the government had built Fort Brady and wanted to establish an official presence to forestall any renewed British threat following the War of 1812. The government tried to ensure against British agitation of the Ojibwa. Jane was the oldest daughter of John Johnston, a prominent Scots-Irish fur trader, and his wife and 
her, they called her Susan Johnston. She was the daughter of a leading Ojibwa chief, Wobajig, and his wife. Now, I'm going to say this because I wrote it out phonetically and I listened to the pronunciation. Okay. I hope I don't screw this up. Ozadiska de Waki. Ozadiska de Waki. I know what you're saying. Ozadiska de Waki. Yes. Jane was also known as Bam. <sighs> this is the harder one because I couldn't find a pronunciation. Mm-hmm. I found one pronunciation and then I couldn't find it again today. So I'm really struggling with this one. Bamwa Wajikaki. Kaki. Bamwaji Kaki, I think. And what does that mean? It means woman of the sound the stars make rushing through the sky. Beautiful. Her knowledge of the Ojibwa language and culture, which she shared with Schoolcraft, formed in part the source material for Longfellow's poem, The Song of Hiawatha. Jane and Henry had four children together, but only two would survive past childhood. Jane suffered from frequent illness and died in 1842 while visiting her sister in Canada. In 1847, after moving to Washington, D.C., Henry remarried at the age of 53 to Mary Howard. She was a Southerner and slaveholder from an elite planter family of the Beaufort District of South Carolina. Her support of slavery and opposition to mixed-race unions created strains in her relationship with Schoolcraft's children. They became alienated both from her and their father. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not good. No. After Schoolcraft's hands became paralyzed in 1848 from a rheumatic condition... Mary devoted much of her attention to caring for him and helping him complete his massive study of Native Americans, which had been commissioned by Congress in 1846. So now we're going to go back to 1822, which is when Schoolcraft began his ethnological research during his appointment as U.S. Indian agent at Sault Ste. Marie. He had responsibility for tribes in what is now northern Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. And as you'll recall, Jane taught him the Ojibwa language as well as much of the lore of the tribe and its culture. So this guy knew a lot of yeah. stuff. Like he had all the secrets. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was one of the the first. I would. I think to really uh, do to really study in depth. You know, I don't know if just uh, you know Native Americans in general, but definitely like the Chippewa of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Schoolcraft was elected to the legislature of the Michigan Territory, where he served from 1828 to 1832. In 1832, he traveled again to the upper reaches of Mississippi to settle continuing troubles between the Ojibwe and Dakota or. Sioux Nations. He worked to talk to as many Native American leaders as possible to maintain the peace. He was also provided with a surgeon and given instructions to begin vaccinating Native Americans against smallpox. Which that just made me really angry when I was reading about that, uh, because in in my readings, they made it a point to remind everybody that smallpox wasn't here, mm-hmm. and it came over with the Europeans, and it's just further angers me you know what I mean? It's like, man, these people were done so wrong. And like, yeah, for our time right now, vaccinations are important. And we understand that. We, we get the some science. Some of us do. Some right? of us don't. We understand the science behind it and can appreciate why we do what we do. Yeah. But these people were just living their lives, hanging out, doing their things, trading for fishing you know doing whatever it was that they were doing in the 1700s and then a bunch of white men come over and not only steal their land but then sicken them with disease and it's just like it definitely blows my mind the whole thing could have gone better definitely gone way better Yeah. yeah 
So after his territory for Indian affairs was greatly increased in 1833, Schoolcraft and Jane moved to Mackinac Island, the new headquarters of his administration. In 1836, he was instrumental in settling land disputes with the Ojibwe. He worked with them to accomplish the Treaty of Washington, by which they ceded to the United States a vast territory of more than 13 million acres, worth many millions of dollars, which really doesn't seem like a fair deal to the Ojibwe. I was waiting to hear how the, how the deal shaked out since they said he was doing such good work for him. He believed the Ojibwe would be better off learning to farm and giving up their wide hunting lands. The government agreed to pay subsidies and provide supplies while the Ojibwe made a transition to a new way of living, but its provision of the promised subsidies were often late and underfunded. The Ojibwe suffered, suffered as a result. In 1838, pursuant to the terms of the treaty, Schoolcraft oversaw the construction of the Indian Dormitory on Mackinac Island. The building is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. It provided temporary housing to the Ojibwe who came to Mackinac Island to receive annuities during their transition to what was envisioned by the U.S. government as a more settled way of life. In 1839, Schoolcraft was appointed Superintendent of Indian Affairs in the Northern Department. He began a series of Native American studies later and published as the Algic Researches. These included his collection of Native American stories and legends, many of which his wife Jane told him or translated for him from her culture. When the Whig Party came to power in 1841 with the election of William Henry Harrison, Schoolcraft lost his political position as Indian agent. This was when Henry and Jane moved to New York, and a year later was when Jane died. So William Henry Harrison was the guy who bumped him out of power. Pretty much. And William Henry Harrison, I believe, wasn't he assassinated? I don't know. I didn't go, I didn't go down that rabbit hole. And then Schoolcraft's wife dies. I'm just saying, it looks like things got ugly once he moved to when they once they moved to D.C. after yeah, well, everything happened. Schoolcraft continued writing about Native Americans. In 1846, Congress commissioned him to develop a comprehensive re- reference work on American Indian tribes. Schoolcraft worked for years on the history and survey of the Indian tribes of the United States. It was published in six volumes from 1851 to 1857 by J.B. Lippincott and Company of Philadelphia. Critics praised its scholarship and valuable content by Schoolcraft and the meticulous and knowledgeable illustrations. Critics also noted the work's shortcomings, including lack of index and poor organization, which made the information almost inaccessible. Almost 100 years later, in 1954, the Bureau of American Ethnology of the Smithsonian Institution prepared and published an index to the volumes. After his death at age 71 in 1864, Schoolcraft's second wife, Mary, donated over 200 books from his library, which had been published in 35 different Native American languages, to the Boston Athenaeum. His papers are archived in the Library of Congress. He and Mary were each buried in the Congressional Cemetery in Washington, D.C. So that's pretty much the story of Mr. Schoolcraft. A couple of things that I found that were like off on different, you know, research papers or whatever. So he d- he had suffered a series of strokes before he died. So you have to think that, first of all, he had some rheumatic condition where his hands were paralyzed. So this guy could no longer write. Yeah. And then he ended up having a series of strokes, you know, at some point shortly before dying. So physically, he was unable to do a lot of stuff. And then following the strokes, you know, those are those affect you physically, but also, you know, mentally and and verbally. So you got to wonder, like, what it was like to take care of this man, you know, end days. Something that I also found very interesting about his story is that he died penniless. 
mm-hmm. but also had filed bankruptcy like earlier on in his life. Like he wasn't very good with money, it sounds like. And, you know, like, I don't know. Clearly, I have no concept of what it was like to be an Indian agent in the 1800s. But I imagine he was getting paid, right? Like yeah. the government had to have been paying this man. So it's curious to me, like, what else was happening that he didn't have any money? Like, something else was going on in this man's life. Speculation, obviously. Like, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, this is how rumors get started. I mean, I, know. I don't know how... I don't know how much mo- how money worked back then. I don't know? either, but there were it doesn't seem like there was any sort of minimum wage or a union or any sort of guarantee that, you know, how much money this guy would have going through life. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but it just seems weird. Another thing that was that was like I found it at the very end of of my reading and it really struck me as being like, I don't know, like a slap in the face and like just I don't know, just very strange. He was actually in favor of removing Native Americans from Michigan. Yeah. Like he didn't want them here. And the whole I don't know, it just seems so strange to me. Like, did he marry an Ojibwe woman because he had ulterior motives? See, like what was happening there? It's hard to say. It's just it seemed like um marriage was just something that a lot of people did like you know it might have even been a loveless marriage you don't even know it was just Mm -hmm. sort of done like you know um, more of a transactional yeah between tribes like just you know as a way of good faith you know sort of Mm -hmm. like again going back to europe you know royal families basically intermarrying and all that right it's hard to say, but I don't know. Again, you, this we remember Schoolcraft in Michigan because his name is on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we know about, you know, he, again, he named a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things he just made up Indian names and just sure that sounds native enough. We don't necessarily know the scope of his character. Like, you know, I didn't know the full story. I didn't know he remarried a slave owner that distanced him between his children weird right yeah weird but then again finding out that you know he was in favor of indian removal you know it was it seems like his his marriage to jane was very transactional mm-hmm. yeah very transactional so yeah and i mean i will say that like cool he named some stuff like that's you know no. things needed to be named but of course if it wasn't him somebody else would have named him so it's right. like okay great job i will say that the big positive coming from Henry Schoolcraft, in my opinion, is that he did, he was able to take those stories that she told mm-hmm. him and compile them so that they they will be, continue yeah. to be told. And that's important. I mean, we were just talking last week about how that history is very important. So, you know, clearly we have no idea the accuracy of his writings, right. uh, you know, of his publications. I hope that they're accurate. I hope that they're you know, word for word, what she was telling him. But that's really the only... Yeah, I think the, the most positive thing from the Henry Schoolcraft story is the exposure that his his wife has. Exactly. You know, like yeah. we know who she is, who is now the, you know, recognized as the first published Native American woman in mm-hmm. American history. I don't know. It's so funny to... History is always messy. It is. And it's crazy to me how we take these historical figures and we put them up so high because they've done something. And mm-hmm. then you start digging deeper and you're like, whoa, that guy was not a great person. Right. <laughs> you know and what I mean, I mean? Especially with the way that the world's been the past few years, it's like people don't really like to even consider the context of the times because mm-hmm. they realize the times were really screwed up and nobody was doing anything to fix them. Yeah. So it's sort of, I don't know, it's hard to, to, to gauge people in history these days. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Do you do you remember them for the good? Do you remember them for the bad? Do you remember them for a combination of the two? I mean, I think that if you're trying to accurately educate, you have to include the two. 
you have to tell both sides of the story and you have to be transparent Mm -hmm. you know you can't just be like you know henry schoolcraft was super rad because he named a bunch of stuff in our state and he told native american stories okay Mm -hmm. but he also wanted them to leave the state he married a racist i mean you know what i mean and it's like uh guys (laughs) yeah in all fairness everyone was probably a racist back then you know yeah i mean that's probably fairly accurate too but still it's just Just the fact that, you know, she got between him and his kids is kind of BS. I mean, I just, yeah, I'm going to say that when you're telling history and you're telling stories about people, you need to include the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. So that's the story. All right, Mr. Schoolcraft. And I'm sticking to it. So before we end. Thanks for naming the road by my house. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Good job. So shout out to our listeners across the country for sure. But I looked at our analytics today and we have we have listeners all over the like all around the whole dang globe. Yay. Like we're in the US, obviously. And then we also have a bunch of listeners in Canada, Aruba, India, Germany. We're in like forty four countries. Canada I get. Welcome, my brothers and sisters. My Great Lakes brothers and sisters. It- Aruba, however. Like a lot of people in Aruba, like maybe maybe people on vacation. Who knows? Canada, like it goes: U.S., Canada, Aruba, India, Germany, in order, and then the rest of them fall behind. So it's yeah. just like it blows my mind to think that people around the world are listening to us babble about the things that are happening in our state. Like I, know. I just, can't. I love it though. Thank you so much for listening. It's a very interesting feeling, but it's like, I can't, I still can't wrap my head around it. It's just, it's so bizarre. I mean, the way I think Canada, you know, we're the same peoples. Yeah. I love it. You know, no, no surprise that, that, you know, you'd see Canada on the list, but Aruba. It's just so weird. I'm surprised and I'm very happy. I Aruba love it. is a beautiful little island right there in the, uh, you know, just south of the Gulf of Mexico. Did you know that it's abbreviated AA? Is it really? Yeah, because I saw it on the list and I was like, what country is AA? You know what else is abbreviated AA? Yeah, but... All American. All right. So don't forget to... <laughs> don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And please, if you're looking for other shows to listen to, check out what we have on Joy Road Media. Aside from the history and folklore that you get from this show, which is the best, we also have comedy and improv shows, a talk show, a movie review show, a horror anthology show, and then we'll be bringing on more, you know, in time. Got all your needs covered. Yeah, all of them. All your moods covered. So you can find more information about Joy Road Media and all of our shows on joyroadmedia.com. So until next time, be safe out there and watch for deer.